Welcome back to the uh, Renaissance <laughs> episode 30. Yes. Now, Ray, uh, I don't know if you remember, but uh, in our last episode, um, we, we finished off talking about Gibbo, right. Lorenzo Ghiberti, spent 50 years making two sets of doors for the baptistery of, um, uh, of, of the piazza where the Duomo is in uh, Florence. Duomo wasn't even there at the time. Well, it kind of was, half yeah. there. But um, he, 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 he did other things. We, we talked about how he died before the, the second set of doors, the gates of paradise, were erected. <laughs> um, but he did some other things I wanted to briefly talk about just to wrap up the Gibbo story. Then we'll get on to his mate Bruno, what he's been doing in the meantime. I had read that uh, just like his father predicted, you know, when, once he got the commission and he completed the first set of doors, he's a celebrity, he's famous, he's considered the top artist in his field, I get all that. And so I guess the commissions are going to start flying in. And even though he's doing the second set of doors, I guess there's a little bit of a, let me work on this on Tuesday. I'll work on the stuff for the Pope on Wednesday. So I guess he's actually got other stuff coming in and trying to juggle it all at the same time, which is maybe why it took so long. I think what you said, 27 years to do the second set of doors. 28, 28. I think. Yeah. Something like that. Well, speaking of, speaking of the set, second set of doors, Mm -hmm. Um, have you ever heard the Doors album they recorded after Jim Morrison died? No. They recorded an album um, after he died. And uh, surprisingly, it's not bad. Hmm. Not bad at Who's- all. It's called Other Voices. Okay. Uh, actually, uh, a f- couple and Full Circle, I think, is, they might have done after he died as well. Uh, surprisingly, not bad. Uh, listen to this. Classic Doors sound. Yeah. I mean, you got to, you, you, it's not the same without Jim's voice, but if you didn't know that it was the Doors without Jim, you'd go, that's fucking rock and right. roll, man. That's good. It's good music, but uh doesn't get a lot of love, the no. post Jim albums from the Doors, but I, uh, I have well, a love for just them. Just because you're. And yeah. I have to yeah. say this this is heretical, but I actually like the Velvet Underground album that was recorded after Lou Ooh, quit the band. Right. Um, not. Uh, 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 Squeeze, 1973. John Cale was gone. Lou was gone. And uh, they put out one more album, and it was okay, too. I mean, again, it's missing Lou, but uh, you get this track, like the first track, Little Jack. Little 
I mean, it doesn't sound like the Velvet Underground, right. but uh, it's not a bad yeah. album, you know? Anyway, sorry. Let's, I don't know why we're I, talking about this stuff. No, just that it all comes down to economics, which is one of your themes. Just because your lead singer dies doesn't mean the bills don't stop coming in. So you got to you gotta do what you got to do. Put out albums, get a new singer, whatever. You got to keep going on because that's life. So um, it's all economics. That's all I had. <laughs> okay, so yeah. back to... Back to the yeah. Renaissance. So um, uh, after he finished the first set of right. doors, uh, he did get – Gibbo, this is – he did get a commission um, by the Arta di Calemala, the Cloth Merchants Ooh. Guild, the same guild that commissioned the doors. Right. They commissioned him to make a huge bronze statue of John the Baptist. Wow. Now, this was to go on the outside wall of the Orsan Michele, the kitchen garden of St. Michael's, another church in Florence. Um, and basically they have a whole bunch of statues that are like on the outside walls, sort of embedded into little enclaves into the wall. Enclaves? Uh, architraves? Um, uh, fucking don't ask me about architecture. <laughs> They're set into the walls. Right. Now, it was the largest statue ever cast in Florence up to that wow. point. And this is important because we have to keep in mind that casting bronze statues was difficult. Producing statues in and of itself is difficult, mm-hmm. always has been difficult. Whether you're carving them out of stone or marble or you're casting them in bronze... Right. It's very difficult to get this thing, apart from the artistic element of it, to get it to stand upright. Yeah, bronze is heavy. Because it's fuck, fucking heavy, <laughs> right? Exactly. Now, this one, and also just the whole thing, how do you cast a three-dimensional uh, sculpture ooh. in bronze, in metal, um, and, and make it look like one cohesive piece? Now, from the from its base, this was two point five five meters tall. Still there, still out the front of Orson Michele. You can go see it in Florence. We didn't on our trip. Oh, one of the things that we skipped. Going back, but but by well, we have to go back. Yeah, yeah. honestly, the more I spend yeah. reading, I go oh, now fuck. I, now, now I get shit. Go back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. By comparison, Michelangelo's David is 5.17 metres tall, so quite a bit taller, but this was this was tall. Now, Vasari, writing about this statue of John the Baptist, said, in this work, which was placed in position in the year 1414, mm-hmm. there is seen the beginning of the good modern manner. In the head, in an arm, which appears to be living flesh, in the hands, and in the whole attitude of the figure. He was thus the first who began to imitate the works of the ancient Romans, whereof he was an ardent student, as all must be who desire to do good work. Now, he started the doors in 1403, took 22 years, so 1425 is when he finished. Vasari says this one went up in 1414, Maths doesn't work out, but maths wasn't Vasari's big point. Um, you know, 
He's like, fucking no one's, no one's going to check. I'll just write any dates yeah, down. they're not going to know. But obviously he squeezed in and he was multi... He had to be multitasking somewhere if he spent 52 years working on two sets of doors. Yeah, it's not all he did. Right. He was doing other right. stuff. But that, that was his major accomplishment was those doors. But he was doing statues and he was pushing forward the, the, the Renaissance style in everything that he did, bringing this new naturalism to it. And, yeah, making it lifelike and and giving the impression of living flesh and movement and being able to tell a sense of scene. And I I want to get into this in a Mm -hmm. a minute, um, why why this was so important in its day. Now, Ghiberti also wrote a book, his commentary. Hmm. Commentary, commentarii. Now, this was the first artist's autobiography. Wow. Yeah. Now, this is kind of a big deal. Now, one thing that we haven't mentioned, you you said something early on in this episode that um, he would have been a celebrity. At this stage, and actually for a long time afterwards, visual artists weren't celebrities. They were working Joes. Mm. Now, as I said in the last episode or the one before that, I think, um, Florence was the city of guilds. Guilds were mostly made up of craftsmen. Your your wool guild, your silk guild, your your cloth guild. You had your white-collar guilds, your banker's guild eventually, but they were mostly the the working man, uh, the craftsmen who had their guilds. And sure, you had some craftsmen who were more talented or worked harder or had higher standards than others. But at the end of the day, artists were craftsmen. They had a craft that they had trained at. It was a job. You were just a guy that did a thing. You you, you painted a fucking wall. You carved out a fucking brick. You made a fucking building. Yeah. You made a piece of cloth, some clothes. Hired help. They weren't celebrities or superstars. Right. Hired help, exactly. Yeah, they weren't superstars like we think of artists today. Mm-hmm. Um, like James Caffin, for example. James Caffin, yeah. superstar. <laughs> uh, and I'm not just saying that because I want him to hurry up and finish my fucking portrait. If I could tell you the story, so. Two years, James has been working on. My then he portrait. can work on mine. Um, yeah, he, yeah, he. Well, you're in this one. You're you're, you're bent oh, over at the front. But anyway, that's another story. He texted me the other day. He said, "Nearly finished. <laughs> nearly finished." And I said, Are you, "You're still going to put it into the um, the Archies, the Archibalds, the big art um, portraiture right. prize in Australia." And he said, "Oh, yeah, these these judges are all a bunch of cunts. <laughs> you know, they just want their dick sucked." <laughs> well, and do I said, it. "Well, dude, like." Yeah, suck yeah. the dick. Like, what's now you're married? You got married a month or so ago, Jane. Now you're married. You can't suck a big of a dick for your work, for your art. Just kiss like, an ass. You might as well suck dick. F- shut up. Yeah, yeah. Suck the dick. Get it in there. Win, win the prize. Right? Like, are you too, you're too important to suck dick now. Jesus Nobody's Christ. that important. Fucking artists, man. Right? You see, he thinks he's a superstar. Right? He won't suck a bit of dick just to get get his art into a competition. Um, he turned on. Now. <laughs> what they were producing right wasn't art like we think of it right. today 
you know, this isn't something where you go into a hushed gallery and the you brochure. stand in front of it right. for an hour <laughs> and you look at yeah. it and someone comes along and, and explains yeah. to you the hidden depths yeah. and meaning and it of life. it and what the artist, right. what kind of underwear the artist was wearing at the time and how that influenced the counterpoint of the thing. and the, That wasn't – that didn't exist right. in in this day. Just no one thought of art like that. Make my wall pretty. Art. Make the ceiling pretty. Just get on with it. Yeah. Well, it was partly that. Like I, I think when, when you think of the visual arts back then, sculpture or, or painting – it's a combination of wallpaper, right? Something to cover your wall or your door with because it's ugly. Right. Listen, we, Function. you know, it's kind of, yeah, it's ugly. Cover it with yeah. something so it's not so ugly and something I can look at. But also because most people were still illiterate and uneducated, mm. it was a kind of a combination of wallpaper and a book um, uh, or a TV show, right? You could, you could look at a picture, you could look at a sculpture, and you could learn or be reminded of the stories from the Bible that you heard at church on right. Sunday. You couldn't go home and read it because you couldn't read and you didn't have a right. book because the printing press hadn't been invented, so books were expensive. I, I just want to ask a quick question, um, and I think you're making a good point that the, these are functionaries. These are not works of art. At this point, who are the superstars? My only guess is like architects who are making big, impressive, beautiful buildings, but that's only a guess. I mean, who who are the people? Or are, are these people just literally just hired help and they're not being seen as artists yet? Is that your point? I'm just, I just want to make sure I understand. Well, I think the – we didn't – there weren't celebrities as we think of right. them today because there was no media to communicate celebrities. You had – well, we know that Petrarch and Boccaccio were celebrities in their day. They were writing stuff that people were reading. But we, we're still talking about an era where the the famous people are the the, the, the elite, the, the kings, the dukes, mm-hmm. the popes. Uh-huh. Um, at a local level, if you're out in the country, uh, it's your local bishop, um, the, 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 the moneyed people, yeah. the, the landed gentry that have that the the common people look up at from the mud and the filth and go <laughs> oh look at them in their clean clothes and they, their clean skin wouldn't wouldn't that be they nice they have power and money gotcha that's who people are looking up to the, okay. the wealthy elite um yeah, that's they're, they're the celebrities of the day, I think. But it, but it, but we're starting to see the emergence of artists as celebrities with your Petrarch, mm-hmm. with your Boccaccio, um, and yeah, architects a little bit maybe. But uh, but I think what happened, and we're going to get into this more when we get into the politics and, and the Medici and that kind of stuff, is that. The, the position of artist as celebrity started to emerge in Florence during the Renaissance because the wealthy elite had a competition amongst themselves mm-hmm. to who could have the nicest shit. Ah. And, okay, so when, when you're trying to show off to your friends, 
you can go, well, i got a big house. Yeah, i got a big house. Okay, we've both got big houses. Um, I've got nice clothes. Yeah, I've got nice clothes. Okay, fuck. <laughs> um, I've got a private army. Yeah, i got a private got a army. Hua. Okay. Oh, you got a whore um, too? Okay, never mind. Do you have a Da Vinci? No. Fuck, I've got a Da Vinci hanging on yes. my wall. Because right? limited... You know, there were there were a limited number of people who were considered great artists, the best artists of their day. There was competition to get them to work on your project. Ah. They they painted my thing, they did my statue, we've got a thing in our house, or that you know, we paid them to build a temple which has our name on it. So there's a competition amongst the the elite to be associated with the people that are considered at the time, to be the best, the very best artist. Now, they were still, even Da Vinci and Michelangelo and these guys were still working jobs. Right. They didn't get a lot of choice in their commissions. Sometimes they could not finish things and get away right. with it just, or they, they would take, quite often, and this is 100 years later, but they would they would take a commission, take the money, then spend it and run away yes. uh, <laughs> before they finished it. They would just didn't have they double put themselves or they didn't want Pull to do away. it or whatever. But yeah. they weren't working like James Caffin decides because he's a right. celebrity. Um, he decides he's going to work on a painting of me just because, just because he's just because he wanted an excuse to get to meet right. me and have, have you know fill me up a little bit in a in a little art studio. Aww. For right. a few hours, get me to strip down and put on some clothes. Um, it's not like he's been commissioned to do that. Now, Da Vinci and Michelangelo, even the, the the most famous Renaissance artists, didn't have that luxury. It's not like he, they just kick their feet up and go, you know what? I'm going to work on my own stuff for a couple of years. Fuck you. Um, and then I'll then I'll put it on the market and try and sell it. Right, because right. there wasn't that 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 kind yeah, of market didn't exist. You didn't make something and then put it out there in the free marketplace. You, you had to be commissioned to do stuff. Um, so they were they were working Joes, all of these guys, but particularly back in the the early fourteen hundreds when we're talking about these guys um, starting to figure this shit mm-hmm. out. Now, some of these guys did end up in a position where they were admired during their lifetimes, and the Medici had a lot to do with this. But we'll get into this in later episodes. So anyway, for Gibbo to write a book about himself, knowing all of that, is a pretty big deal. Yeah. He was like, listen, you may not realise this, but I'm a pretty big deal. And I'm going to tell you how big a deal I am because I'm going to write a book about myself. A bit like Churchill <laughs> and Cicero. And Cicero probably had a lot to do with this too. They were like, you know, fucking Cicero yeah. was smart, man. Marketing, like uh, The only books that we have from the first century BCE are pretty much Cicero and he says he was the shit, so I guess he was the shit. <laughs> That's all we'll ever know. Exactly. <laughs> um now, as we said earlier in this series, Augustine of Hippo uh, wrote his Confessions, which is often called the first Western autobiography to be written, around about 400. Right. But the idea of writing about yourself wasn't completely new. I mean, in our Caesar show, we talked about Caesar wrote his own uh, commentaries on his own campaigns. It wasn't an autobiography as such, they were more reports back to Rome about good shit that he'd been doing, but 
it was in a way yeah. propaganda, self promotion. Um, no one else is going to say I'm good, so let me tell you how good I am, kind of stuff. <laughs> and if there's nothing out there to refute it, then hey, did you did is the is the term fig jam the um, acrostic fig jam um, a thing in 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 the US fig jam? No, yeah, I've never heard of that. It was a big thing here when I was a kid. People used to call me Fig Jam all the time in high school. It stands for Fuck I'm Good, Just Ask Me. Um, they'd be like, hey, Fig Jam. So you haven't changed much over the years? Not really, no. I had this nickname in high school, man. That's just so much. Look, and here's my take on it, because you... You know me, yeah. right, in in real yeah. life. I mean, I'm not an egotistical maniac in real life. Yeah. I think, am I? I don't think I am. No, not a maniac, um, no. I have to remind my wife of that on a regular basis. But whenever you go out there and do stuff, like in high school I was singing in bands and had the lead role in the, all the school musicals and I ran a theatre company for a while. I wrote, directed and started my own theatre productions yeah. and all that. Because if you get out there and do stuff, people think you think you're pretty fucking cool. Right. But really, I mean, at least in my case, it was just like, I'm bored. I want to do something. I don't yeah. know. I just I want to – I was just busy. Just doing yeah. stuff. I was like, oh, it looks like fun. I'll go do it. And then people are like, oh, look at you fucking doing things. <laughs> You well, think you're so fucking special? No, I'm just bored, yeah. man. I just I gotta stay busy. Got to do something. Well, the, the Klingons have a saying um, that mm. if you can do it, it's not bragging. So if you're out there doing things, you're just doing them. You're not you're not sitting there thinking. I'm gonna I'm gonna draw up. I'm gonna I'm gonna gather a fan base or something. No, you're just doing things that interest you. So for those out there, yeah, I'm not doing things because I think I'm I'm good or clever. I'm just yeah, you're doing stuff. I don't know, I'm gonna die one day. Yeah. I just want to. Do yeah, stuff before I die, stuff, right? Yeah. It's the way people perceive it. Yeah. So anyway, that was Caesar. And then, you know, Flavius Josephus uh, wrote his own autobiography in the late first century. Um, the the Josepha Vita or something, I think it's called. Um, so people had been writing about themselves, but Ghiberti is the first artist uh, that we know of wow. to go, I'm going to write a book about art also about myself. Unfortunately, I tried to get a copy of it. Unfortunately, very fucking hard to get a copy wow. of. Wow. Um, and the, the, the only copy that we have of it is a single corrupted manuscript. <sighs> so we don't even have a good version of it that's come down to right. us. But Vasari had it, and he wasn't a big fan. Vasari, I love this. And this is where I'm going to wrap up Gaberti. Vasari wrote... The same Lorenzo wrote a book in the vulgar tongue, wherein he treated of many diverse matters, but in such wise that little profit can be drawn from it. The only good thing in it, in my judgment, is this, that, ever, that after having discoursed of many ancient painters, and particularly of those cited by Pliny, he makes brief mention of Cimabue, Giotto, and many others of those times, and this he did with much more brevity than was right, for no other reason but to slip with a good grace into a discourse about himself ah. and to enumerate minutely, as he did, one by one, all his own works. <laughs> Nor will I forbear to say that he feigns that this book was written by another, 
Whereas afterwards, in the process of writing as one who knew better how to draw, to chisel and to cast in bronze than how to weave stories, talking of himself, he speaks in the first person. I made, I said, I was making, I was saying. Finally, having come to the 64th year of his age and being assailed by a grievous and continuous fever, he died, leaving immortal fame for himself by reason of the works that he made and through the pens of writers, and he was honourably buried in Santa Croce. His portrait is on the principal bronze door of the church of San Giovanni, on the border that is in the middle when the door is closed, in the form of a bald man, and beside him is his father Bartoluccio, and near them may be read these words, Laurentiae Cionis di Gebertis Mirate Fabricatum. Lorenzo de Cioni Gibertus, wonderful art fabricator. God. Now, he says he died at 64. Uh, I think in modern estimates is he was more like 73 or 74. Can't even give Again, him that. Yeah. Vasari. Yeah. not big with the maths. <laughs> but um, I love that. Like, what a fucking cutting piece of writing. Damn. Look, uh, he, he couldn't even he couldn't even pretend that it was written by somebody else very well. He had to keep slipping. He kept falling into his own saying, "I did, I I said, I was making um, cold man, cold Vasari." Whoa, I, I do like that approach. Anyway. Though you mentioned all the greats, and then you slip your own name in there, as in you know, a hundred, couple hundred years later, people are going to just assume that you were one of the greats, like they were. So that's not bad propaganda. And he was. So, you know, no doubt that when, to everyone listening, when you next go to Florence, take some time out, go to the Baptistery doors and, you know, try and spend some time. Also go to the museum, the Duomo Museum, and have a look at the originals that are in there. Um, I've never done that, but I certainly will on on my next trip. And, um, yeah, Yeah. take some time to appreciate the beginning of, of the Renaissance, where it all started with the doors of the baptisteries. Well, let's move on and, and talk a little bit about his arch rival, the Lex Luger <laughs> to his Superman, the Joker to his Batman, <laughs> Bru- Bruno, yeah. Filippo Brunelleschi. He was just a proud Italian. Bruno, um, we talked a little bit about his early life in an earlier episode, um, and as I said, at some for some reason, whether it was because they asked him to share the work with Ghiberti or right. because he lost to Ghiberti, he said, fuck you all, <laughs> I'm out of 4,000, and he went to Rome. Now, we know about his life. Vasari talks about him, but also the first biography of an artist mm-hmm was Antonio Manetti's biography of Filippo Brunelleschi, written in the 15th century. Nice. Um, Probably, I think Manetti knew him personally Mm -hmm. and wrote about his life. So, again, these guys are going, like, uh, from being just craftsmen. Right. Like a bricklayer. Like we would think of a bricklayer today or, uh, or, or the guy that lays cement. Right. To people going, 
we're going to write a book about this guy. That's what a fucking dude he was. <laughs> yeah. Big, big swinging dick, Brunelleschi. We're going to write a book about him. Big deal. So he goes to, he goes to Rome, Bruno, takes his friend Donny, big right. Donny, big Donny Tello. They go to Rome to study ancient art and then also the ancient ruins, the buildings. Now, uh, Donny Tello, uh, <laughs> like Brunelleschi, was trained as a goldsmith. Right. And as we know, he returned to Florence to help Gibbo with the bronze doors. But Bruno seems to have decided he, he can't return to painting or goldsmithing or sculpture because he's been dissed. Yes. Yeah. Public diss. Yeah. 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 Fuck. He's like, I just can't show my face mo- <laughs> in those circles again. I'm moving on. I'm moving up. George Jefferson. I'm yeah. moving up. Moving on up. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he's decided he's going to become the world's greatest architect. Now, I did want to mention this real quick. You probably ran across this, but uh, I was reading something about um, in times past, before this moment, um, writers and philosophers had been discussing, of course, the grandeur and the decline of ancient Rome. But it seems from what I could tell, besides uh, Petrarch, until Brunelleschi and Donatello actually physically go to Rome and physically inspect the ruins, that there wasn't a lot of that that was actually happening. People were either just saying, oh, Rome is gone and we have to try to become the new Rome, but without actually going and, dis- and, and examining the physical ruins of that city. And so I think a part of that is probably true. And also, like you said, uh, Donatello um, is going to remain a sculptor, but Brunelleschi, maybe he got something out of what he saw in Rome about the potential for future creations. And maybe he learned a thing by looking at all the um, Roman architecture, even if it's in its decayed state, and decides to turn that way because maybe that's where his future and or genius lies. Yeah, and I think some of this is the beginning of a scientific approach. Mm, um, good point. If you want to emulate or surpass right. the ancients, you have to go and study what the ancients did. Now, you and I have had a recent experience of this. Talking about ancient Rome or Athens or Florence is one thing. Right. Getting all of our knowledge out of books (laughs) or, in your case, YouTube videos. But to actually go there and stand stand and walk to climb up. Right. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. To to like, be there, we had a lot of a lot of great experiences. But some of the most profound experiences for me on our recent trip was, um, you know, going going to Athens and climbing up yes. the Acropolis, right, and, and and standing at the you know walking around the Parthenon and and looking out over Greece from the top of the Acropolis and and thinking about what it must have been like yeah. 2,000 years ago. And and when you're going into the Colosseum in Rome and walking around and thinking about what was going on in the Colosseum or, or, or to me, probably my favourite experience um, during the trip was when we were in Rome going to the Pantheon. Yes, I could tell. I could uh, tell you were moved. I, and I'm not being sarcastic. I can tell um, you were acting differently. You were acting humble. Lur. 
<laughs> no, you really were. No, you 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 were a lot quieter, and you weren't joking around. And I just thought that was a cool moment. The Pantheon to me is. I mean, it's astounding. I mean, not just because of its connection to Agrippa and Augustus, but because it was built in what, 118, 120, <laughs> something like that, right. still standing in perfect condition. In use, yeah. And yeah. in use, and, and, and it's a remarkable piece of architecture, which obviously Brunelleschi agreed because <laughs> he climbed up on the roof yes. And uh, to, to to try and figure out how they built that dome. So if you, if if you haven't been to Rome and you're not familiar with the Pantheon, and you haven't listened to our uh, Augusta series, the Pantheon was originally built by Agrippa, mm-hmm. uh, Augustus's best mate. Um, he was originally intended to be a, a place to celebrate the Pantheon of the Roman gods. Uh, there, there was going to there were were statues of Augustus and Agrippa also at the entryway leading you in. Right, Agrippa's version uh, burnt down, fell into the swamp, <laughs> and got rebuilt, and that burnt down and fell into the swamp, and then finally the third version stayed up. Good, and it was built by Hadrian um, in the early second century, and it <coughs> excuse me, it um, it has a huge fucking dome on it. Beautiful. It's basically a big domed building with with columns uh, on the on the, the face of it. Um a massive dome that was the biggest dome a freestanding dome in the world for a thousand years. Damn. Longer, thirteen hundred right. years. And um and no one knew how it was built. Um, and it's got a big hole in the top of yeah. it. Um, Why isn't it falling and, down? And, yeah. Well, yes. And and I, I actually want to do a thing on that. Um, I want to talk about I know it's got nothing to do with the Renaissance, but it does because it influenced the Renaissance. We should do a whole episode or something on the painting. Sure. But 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 anyway, so it's a, it's a remarkable structure. Like you think of ancient Roman ruins – when you go to Palatine Hill or you go to the Forum, and most most of it's crumbling and falling down and 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 um, not in a state of good repair, which is to be expected after two thousand years. But the Pantheon is there in all its glory. Now, one of the reasons for that is the Christians, in their great wisdom, <laughs> instead of tearing it down, right. they just gutted it and turned it into a church. And so they kind of looked after it instead of stripping it to go and build a church, right? As they did with a lot of other um, pagan Roman buildings, temples, yeah. pagan buildings. Yeah. yeah, they kept this one in use. They absconded it and absconded it. Well, that's, no, they they transferred. I was not, going for a that's different not word. A word. It is a word. Yeah, Don't, but that's the wrong word. Well, not. The wrong word. Okay, yeah. I'm going to edit all that yeah. out. What word were you going for? Just, just, no, just something what where you... Just stop. Repurposed Repurp- it. That's okay. How about that? That's Yeah. I'm going I'm to say that I said that. They repurposed it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bruno, he goes, he studies this. Now, he goes back to Florence at some stage. His first architectural commission was the Ospedale degli Innocenti the Hospital of the Innocents, which he started in 1419. Now, 
big gap between going to Rome in 1403 and getting this commission in 1490. What the fuck was he doing for 17 years? I don't know. Now, I have to thank Tony and Alex Kyniston for pointing out the Hospital of the Innocents to me on our last trip to Florence because I would have walked right (laughs) past it and paid it no attention whatsoever. Right. Um, We were walking past it on our way to see David at the Ah, Academia. Right. And I, I think... Alex said something to Tony, and Tony said something. Hey, hey, hey! Apparently, this is important. And I was like, "Oh, really? Okay." And Alex said, "Yeah, I think this is the first building that Brunelleschi built." And I was like, "Oh, right, oh. Right, you fucking clever! You and your degree, education, yeah. your, your university learning. education right. in the in the arts." Yeah. Um, by the way, yeah, we love it. Yeah. She's the great. She's the best. She should be doing. I don't know this if show. Alex listens to this show, yeah. but yeah, oh, sh- shit, yeah, she should be doing everything, and she will. She is and she will. True. Anyway, so thank you to Tony and Alex for pointing it out or I would have completely missed it. Um, because it's not it's not a flashy building by any stretch of the imagination. Right. It's a very simple but elegant building and that's kind of the point. Um, now, he got the commission in 1419 from the Arte della Setta, mm. the Silk Guild. It's the same guild he trained with in his youth. They were the Silk Guild but they were like goldsmithing. Yeah. Sculpture, metalworking, it's all kind of yeah. like silk, Hodgepodge. really. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> yeah, when well, you melt it, you can afford it's to do all silky. Silk, you can afford gold and metal and bronze. Let's, let's face it. So obviously he's done something to convince them that he actually knows how to build shit now. Right. And they commissioned him to design and build this. Now, it was an orphanage, Ooh. the Hospital of the Innocents, it's called, the Osbedali degli Innocenti. Hospital, it was an orphanage. Um, now, this guild was one of the wealthiest in the city because silk was a big deal. I mean, uh, we haven't talked about this, but right. Florence was basically known for its silk. Mm-hmm. It, it, the ability made. to manufacture yeah. and dye silk, silk was the shit. <laughs> To, to the elite of, of Europe <laughs> Shit, boy. in uh, this point in time, right? right. Yeah, oh. Yeah, silk. Oh, the silk. way it feels on your balls in the, in oh. the, in the summer. No. Oh. Oh. What, why? I mean, I'm, and I'm not trying to be cruel or anything, but so this guild has got all this money just laying around. They're going to build up or decorate or do whatever to, to improve a children's orphanage. I guess they're just trying to be good people. Is there going to be a lot of PR that comes yeah, well, back from this? Yeah, and probably Jesus liked a bit of uh, philanthropy. Um, they no, the guilds did uh, take it upon themselves to get involved in philanthropic ah. things in Florence. Okay. And keep keep in mind that they were very proud, as you said earlier, of Florence. They wanted it to be renowned as the greatest city on earth and um, even its orphanage you know tab- yeah. yeah everyone knows outside of republicans um <laughs> everyone knows that the way you measure the uh sophistication right? of a society is by the way it treats their poor, their sick, their elderly, Word. and their their children. Word up. The way the way you treat the downtrodden is the ultimate measure of how civilized your society is. 
If you're like, fuck them, let them rot in the gutter. They deserve You're it. a barbaric society. Right. Yeah. If you go, well, you fucking deserve it because you're, you're scum. Jesus yeah. hates you. Exactly. Um, but if you treat them with tenderness and compassion and realize that they too have intrinsic value and that your value is measured by how well you lift them out of their misery. Mm, speaking Greek. That is the, the, the measure of a, of a civilization. Absolutely. And, and the, these guys knew that because they were more advanced than the right-wing <laughs> politicians are today around the world. Gotcha. Um. Uh, even though they invented capitalism, these guys, uh, they weren't complete cunts. Um, right. Good for them. <laughs> yeah. you got to take that and add 500 years of capitalism to it before, you know, yeah, it's just everything's run by a bunch of complete heartless pricks. But, you know. <laughs> Florence plus 500 years gives you the GOP, basically. <laughs> So you take Florence, you take double-entry bookkeeping, you take some uh, banks, some shipping insurance, you add 500 years and stir, a bunch of cunts. You get Brett Kavanaugh <laughs> on the Supreme Court. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the, the, so they're building this orphanage. Now, there was a basin, like a bird bath, out the front of this building right? where parents would – drop their children into it, their babies, and you just walk along. You didn't want your baby. You'd put it in the birdbath, knock at the front door, Run away. say, uh, there's a baby there for you, and, yeah, and leave. So there's no and water that was- in the birdbath. <laughs> no, there's no water. Okay. Um, probably a lot of baby pee. <laughs> um, but no one's but drowning. No water. Okay, all right. For 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 two hundred years, that's how you dropped your kid off at the orphanage. Oh. You put it in the basin out the front. In sixteen sixty, they removed the basin and replaced it with a special rotating door. It was a door that had like a rotating horizontal wheel that you put the baby in. Damn. It's like a a. a a cat door, right? But with a lever, you put the baby in, and then turn the handle, and the baby would be put inside the building. Because somebody was like, "Really, is it the best thing for babies to be sitting out in the sun in a basin, you know, the exposed to the elements? Yeah. At least, yeah." And you could do that sort of more anonymously too. You could sort of sneak in through a side door, deposit your baby in the baby door, Damn. and fuck off without being seen. So anyway. So it enables you to leave your baby anonymously to be cared for by the orphanage. Now, I imagine there was a lot of rich people in the Silk Guild that were knocking up young yeah, girls and going, well, listen, no, no I'm not going to look after Just it. Drop, drop it off, off at the orphanage. That's why I, that's yeah. why I built the fucking orphanage. <laughs> don't, don't be bringing it around here. My wife will cut my balls off. Just uh, drop it off at the orphanage and uh, I'll see you next week. How's Thursday for you? Um, Let's make another one. Um, Now, this orphanage uh, with the revolving door operated until it closed in 1875. 
Good God. So from 1419 to 1875, this operated in Florence. Today, it's a small museum uh, with the works of Botticelli and uh, Ghirlandaio. The Adoration of the Magi by Ghirlandaio is in there. Um, Again, we didn't go see it because we were too busy trying to cram everything into three days. That's why we're going back. Yeah. Anyway, so he gets, uh, he builds this. Now, this is, again, 17 years after he lost the Baptistery competition. Um, and, and if you have a look at photos of it, I posted one on Facebook last night. Uh, well, when you hear this, it was three weeks ago. <laughs> go, go and look it up. Uh, Brutaleski uh, Hospital of the Innocents. Um, it's 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 very uh, tastefully done. Mm-hmm. Did you have you looked at a photo of this Ray? I looked at the the uh, photo. Yeah. Do you remember walking past it? Did you no, did you take note of I it? I don't. Mm. I just remember I was trying to figure out a way to sucker punch Tony, but he's too tall. I spent most of my time in uh, on the trip doing that. <laughs> How can I get stop up there? being mean to Tony? I told you he's very sensitive. <laughs> Be nice okay, to Tony. I'm sorry. No, I, I totally miss it. But like you said, I mean, it was it was not meant to be showing that sense. So, no, I, I'm sure we walked right by it going to see David, thinking about some David. The, the front of it's made up of nine um, arches mm-hmm. or loggia, as they're known. Loggia, L-O-G-G-I-A. Right. Like Robert Loggia, the great American actor who passed away a couple of years ago, but uh, he was in Scarface. He was in, um, uh, what was that fucking David Lynch film, uh, Boulevard? Right. Um, Oh, God, it's right there. Yeah. Um, L.A. Boulevard-y thing. Anyway, great, great, scary uh, American character actor. Uh, a loggia is a covered exterior corridor with columns and arches, so like a walkway right. with columns and arches at the front of it. Um, and, and now the thing about this one is it's uh, very mathematically precise, mm-hmm. and it was the first building in Renaissance, they say, to make a clear reference using these columns to classical antiquity. Columns weren't new to Florence. Loggia weren't even new to Florence. There's, um, do you remember the building next to the Uffizi? As you walk to the Uffizi, there's the big uh, piazza, the Piazza della Signoria, mm-hmm. um, and uh, there's there's a whole bunch of statues outside um, under a covering. With we, we were sitting at the front waiting right. for the Uffizi to open, and right. There was all these statues uh, in the outdoor in the piazza with columns. So that's that's an example of loggia. It's called the loggia dell'Anzi or the loggia della Signoria. Uh, okay. Um, um, so that that existed. The loggia was a well-known building type, but apparently, what was important about Bruno's design for the hospital was that it was based on. Classical Roman dimensions, like the gap between the columns is exactly the same as the height of the columns and the height of the, the columns and the second story is exactly the same. So it was mathematically very precise mm-hmm. and, and, it, and it, you know, it was, had this beautiful symmetry about it. And 
whenever I, all the stuff I read about this, they talked about it having a new sense of order to the design and, and the time between that and the rise of humanism, the thinking about mathematical precision and, and the, the, um, uh, the, the sort of the attempt to bring a new level of scientific thinking into art, whether it's architecture or eventually painting and sculpture and these sorts of things, an appreciation for uh, science and maths in the, the visual arts. Now, remember we said that he trained, Bruno trained in mathematics because mm-hmm. he was going to become a notary right. like his father. He was going to become a lawyer or an accountant. Notary. Um, and, that, and this is where he brings this, this appreciation of mathematics into architecture. Not that that was a brand new thing, right? Obviously, architects always needed to be able to measure how long's that wall. You can't, you can't not pay attention to those sorts of things. But in terms of the connection between mathematics and the visual representation of something and how it is pleasing to the eye, mm-hmm. uh, I think this is one of the major contributions of. Brunelleschi. Yeah, let me uh, let me read one short description and uh, and get your opinion on it because it, unless you actually stop and think about it, um, it's like okay, how does this building reflect the Renaissance and this re- building over here reflects the previous either medieval or or the Christian um, mindset? So so one description I have is that it says the building's simple proportions reflect a new age, one of secular education and a sense of great order and clarity. Similarly, the height of the um, the the height of the entablature is half the column height, as is appropriate for a clear-minded society. So, in nowhere in there, in fact, the exact opposite. There's nothing about Jesus. There's nothing about God. There's nothing about faith. There's nothing about um, you know trying to suck up to God so to make sure the plague doesn't get you or you win in the next war. This is all about clean lines, beauty, balance, proportion, clear thinking. Um, clear-minded society, and 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 even though it's for someone like me who doesn't get art, um, the fact that they're able to tie non-Christian thinking and architecture together, and they're actually taking the time to build this and spending a lot of money on it, it must have been important to them. And I don't think up until I started getting ready for the show that I truly appreciated this break from just thinking about God and thinking about the afterlife and they're thinking about the here and now and having things more orderly and clean lines. And they're all tiny together. And even though it seems abstract to me, it was obviously very important to them. And they are. And this is just one of the many physical manifestations of a new type of thinking. And what was the, what was the name of the book that you got that uh, I don't know. I copy and paste electronic books. I don't know. Electronic books, really? Yeah. It wasn't just straight out of Wikipedia. It could have been. I don't know. I do I do YouTube, Wikipedia, and electronic books. And I make shit up half the time, too. <laughs> Pretty sure I recognize that straight out of Wikipedia. I'm, okay, it could you're be. Just, you got, you, could you're, be. Just, you're just reading it straight out of Wikipedia. It could you? be. It, it doesn't matter because I'm going to edit all this out. <laughs> <laughs> But the point is, no, I'm being serious, but the point is I never would have put those two together, but obviously they did, 
And it was important to them because someone like me would have, unless you specifically pointed out, would have right over my head. Don't say anything. Well, it would be right over your head because it's more than four and a half feet tall. So no, but but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, actually tying architecture to a I know. mentality. I, I think yeah. it's fascinating. And I think I mean, and and that's the challenge for those of us in in the 21st century who don't have Alex Kynaston's <laughs> education right. in art history is to learn how to appreciate these things. Uh, as they were seen at the time and and why they were important in the journey to get from Byzantine art through to High Renaissance. And, and you know, I think it's like if you ever sit down and show somebody uh, Citizen Kane for the first time, mm-hmm. Orson Welles' great masterpiece, and part of the the appreciation – Oh, like the first time I saw Citizen Kane, I enjoyed it right. as a piece of storytelling, but I didn't really realise why it was so famous until I watched the DVD with Peter Bogdanovich's commentary. Ah. And when you watch it with Peter Bogdanovich's commentary, he's like, oh, you see this shot? Uh, yeah, Orson invented that. Um, the moving camera? Right. Yeah, Orson invented wow. that. This thing where the camera moves in through the window, and it, yeah, Orson invented that. Never been done before. This thing over here where <laughs> he, does, he lights it this way so you have perspective? Yeah, uh, Orson invented a that. Renaissance um, man. This, and he was And he was 26. He was a Renaissance Damn. man. He was like these guys. He was fucking 26. He invented... 95% of the techniques that get used in making movies today, Orson Welles invented it at 26 on this one movie because he he had no experience in making movies, a bit like these guys. Um, he was like, Went for it. well, I don't know. I'll just do it this way. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. No one um, told me I couldn't. So, oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so you're right. Looking at these things, it's, it's difficult for us with a modern mindset to appreciate why some of these things were as important as they were. But apparently this hospital was a big deal. Right. Uh, the design of it, because it was dignified, it was clean, it was obviously very mathematically precise. And when you look at it even today, not knowing any of this, if you look at a f- picture of it, you'll go, there's a sense of peace I get from it. When I look at it, it seems... Solid, clean, um, mm-hmm. stable, proportional, um, and yeah, there there is definitely a sense of okay, whoever built this knew what the fuck what they were doing, right? right? New and, maths. and yeah, balance. I like that actually. Yeah, there's a sense of balance about it, mm-hmm. which artists started to realize or realize again in this period that if you build and design your art from architecture through to paintings and sculptures in a, consciously in a way that integrated this sense of balance, that it communicated something subconscious to the people. It's like this thing ah. about um, the, the golden rectangle. Um, or golden squares, golden rectangles. Like when things are designed with a sense of proportion, for some reason, there seems to be something built into us 
that gets a sense of peace mm-hmm. when works of art are built around a certain set of dimensions, possibly because it appears in nature a lot and the, our brain, our, our visual cortex has spent a million years looking at these things. And when art reflects those same sort of dimensions, we get some sort of deep into the limbic system sense of everything is right in the world because the dimensions are right. And they were, they were just starting to rediscover this and figure it out at mm-hmm. this juncture. And guys like Da Vinci really took this to a whole new level, but we'll get into that later on. Anyway, we're running out of time. We're nearly at an hour. So before we finish this, I want to talk about um, what Bruno does next. So actually around about the same time. The year before he gets the commission to build the orphanage, in 1418, the guys who were running the Florence Cathedral, the Duomo, announced a competition oh God. to finish the dome, to build the finally build the dome for the cathedral. Right. Now, the cathedral, again, very, very old um, site, location. There was, a, there was a building in the 5th or maybe even the 4th century wow. um, on this spot, a church. Um, it, it burnt down, fell into the swamp. They rebuilt it. That one fell into the swamp. It had been rebuilt a number of times. Right. The, the most recent version and the one that's still there was actually designed in 1294. So 130 years before, uh, they're going to have this competition for the dome. Yeah. Um, the the one that was there, the cathedral was there, was sort of crumbly. It was getting old. It had been there for centuries. They decided, you know, we got some money now. Um, uh, J- Jesus um, is is more into bling than he used to be. Um, he's going to love us more if we really bling the fuck out of our cathedral. <laughs> so they designed a new church, and this was going to be huge. Yeah. Um you know, a lot of lot of lot of men measure their worth by the size of their penis. Here, here. Jesus right. decides how much he's gonna love you based on how big your cathedral is and how much bling you you offer him. Sounds Don't right. judge, that's just the way <laughs> he is. You might say he's compensating for something. <laughs> no. Um he he <laughs> He sat down with 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 Zeus uh, for an arm wrestle and lost. Yeah, and ever since ever then since he's then. been like, "Hey, build me bigger, build me bigger churches than Bigger's Zeus better. ever had." Exactly. Yeah. Arm wrestling comes to mind because twice in the last week I've beaten Hunter, one of my eighteen-year-olds, at an arm wrestle. He's been going to the oh. gym for a year. He's quite, you know, getting quite muscly. Nice. Challenged me to an arm wrestle uh, the other day. Huge Kicked mistake. his ass. Yeah. Did he cry? Made fun about it. <laughs> he did. Made fun about it. He challenged me to a rematch. I said, no, you get one shot at the title a year. Come on. I'm like, this is, I'm like Creed, man. Up. You get one shot. Um, but in front of his twin brother and one of their friends, he he challenged me and oh. made fun of my manhood unless I, oh. I did it. So I 
gave him a rematch, kicked his ass <laughs> again. You the man, Cam. You the man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I'm the man. Mm-hmm. Anyway, a bit like Jesus. Um, <laughs> anyway, so this church, the, the Duomo was designed by a guy called Alnolfo de Cambio. Oh, I like that. He is the actual architect of the Duomo, including the dome, not Bruno. Um, and so he he designed this thing in 1294. The first stone was laid on September the 9th, 1296. Mm-hmm. It took 140 years to complete. And at least seven different architects. Now, Arnolfo um, laid the first stone in 1296. Then he died in 1310 because, quite frankly, he was just lazy and not committed. Um, no excuses. He signed up for the job. He wasn't a stayer. And wasn't wasn't a stayer like Ghiberti was. Um, <laughs> he died uh, and the project went, went on hold for a long time. They were like, oh, fuck. Then in 1334, Giotto yeah. was appointed to continue the work to De Cambio's design. Right. Um, and in 1365, an artist called Andrea di Ferenzi, Andrea of Florence, painted a huge fresco called the Church Triumphant. Mm. You ever seen that? I don't think so. Look it up. Um, he has he, he he painted the the Duomo with the dome on it, um, according to De Cambio's design. This is in 1365. Right. Okay, hundred years before the dome was actually built. <laughs> right. He painted it, a huge fresco. People were like, "Well, when are we going to get that dome then?" And they're like, <laughs> "Oh, well, sense. fuck it. You know, we're getting <laughs> we're getting to it. We're working." It took on 140 it. years to build the rest of it. Right. Before Don't they could, uh, yeah, before they could fin- put the dome on the top. Now they finally pulled down the old cathedral in 1375. The nave was finished in 1380, but by f- in 1418 they still didn't have a dome. <laughs> so you know they'd be they'd be in there doing a mass. It would rain. Everyone would get wet, and they'd like, yeah, well, <laughs> fucking, if only we had a dome. <laughs> Um, If only someone had the money. Yeah. Well, it wasn't just the money. The building of the dome was considered impossible. Right. It was unprecedented in size, and there was a whole host of engineering problems that had never been tackled before, at least not since ancient Rome. Yeah. When the building was designed by de Cambio, no one had any idea how they were going to build this dome. It was bigger even than the Pantheon's dome, and oh. no one had built anything even close to that uh, size for 1,300 years. Oh, my God. So how fucking high was De Cambio? He sat down. He's like, I know, I know. Fucking, hey, 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 hey. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to design this thing with a dome that can't be built. Hell, <laughs> fuck And him. then I'm going to die. Hey, fuck hey. Him. Then I'm going to die. And then they're going to, they're going to be like, I go, oh, I had a plan. Yeah. I had a plan. I, you know, I just I didn't write dead. it down. Yeah. And now I'm dead. Fuck you. Yeah. 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 
It was like a maybe it was like Kennedy's moonshot. <laughs> you know, when Kennedy said we're going to put a man on the moon, right? No one knew how to do it. It was impossible. He said, "Well, now you know what to focus on." <laughs> By the way, Figure I'm going to die. Yeah. I'm going to die. No, <laughs> no, I'm going to die no. before you get there. But uh, <laughs> then you'll spend the next five or six years going, why the fuck did he sign us up for this? It's the same with the Don. They had no idea how they were going to build it. Now, apart from the fact that they didn't know how to do it. Right. Buttresses. Do you know what a buttress is? Uh, That's part of that holds two parts up. No, go ahead, tell me. No, it's when you have a waitress with a big butt. There's a buttress. (laughs) And you set your ashtray Oh, check out that Right. Check out that buttress. <laughs> um, yeah, support structure that, that comes out. So the, the most famous one I think of are the flying buttresses um, at Notre Dame in Paris. There's mm. things that jut out basically to support or reinforce a wall. Right. Buttresses had been forbidden by the, the city fathers of Florence. Okay. No buttresses, they said. <laughs> Does anybody want to go re-examine that, or they just got to work within those confines? Well, here's the thing. Um, I looked into this. Originally, they were all good Catholics. They said no butt sex was what it was. No butt sex. <laughs> and it got spent And the guy who was... Writing well, down. the guy who was writing the notes wrote no buttresses. No one... No one bothered to check the paperwork. Hundred years goes past. Oh man! They go to build something yeah. and they go, "Oh, we're going to have to buttress this dome." Right. And they go, no, "Oh, no, look, no, it's in, it's in, the, it's in the Constitution. You, you can't use buttresses." You, and they're like, "What? You can have butt sex? Why the but fuck you can't would they?" That? Yeah. <laughs> but that's what it was originally. No butt sex. Um, that actually makes sense. But anyway, yeah. Then it gets written in, and, and no one. Boom. It's like your Second Amendment. No one knows what they were thinking. Right. It's just considered uh, doctrine now. So their exact. So their hands are tied. Apparently, the real story behind it is that they the Italians considered buttresses were ugly makeshifts. Yeah, that I the that. northern uh, the northern Gothic architects used. They were like, oh, you, you just weren't thinking hard enough. Yeah. it's lazy. Buttresses were lazy. Yeah. Um, they weren't going to do it. Nothing. We don't want any lazy architecture. <laughs> and a buttress is lazy. They go. We can't build this dome Clean without it. Lines. We're like smooth. Not my fucking right. problem. No, I just make the rules. Not my problem. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Don't. I don't have to. You know. <laughs> not my problem. Your problem. You pick. Butt it. sex was my problem. I was just working on the butt sex. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> we're way out of time. Um, anyway. So, on top of that. Um, it was impossible to, be, to to get hold of wooden rafters for scaffolding that would be long enough oh. or strong enough to build a dome of the size that they needed yeah. for uh, this for for the cathedral. That's insane. Um, on top of that, they really didn't understand a lot about the stresses of compression, oh. so they didn't have any idea how you would build something this large, wide, and tall without it collapsing under its own weight. Yeah. They had no idea how it could be done. But like Donald J. Trump, they figured, <laughs> hey, mo- money solves everything. So in 1418, <gasps> the Wool Merchants Guild, the Arte della Lana, mm-hmm. 
held a competition to solve the problem. They put up a 200 florin prize for whoever could come up with a solution to this. Created a committee to oversee the project. And Bruno's nearly 20 years older than he was during the competition for the Baptistry Doors, and he's ready for a competition. He says, Impossible Dome, hold my fucking beer. I got this. And he's cut, he comes up with a solution that's going to blow everyone's minds. He proposes a dome that would be built without wooden scaffolding or buttresses. What? And everyone said he was crazy. <laughs> everyone said it was impossible. He was crazy. Now, the, the Pantheon didn't have buttresses. Right. The Pantheon didn't have wood, wooden scaffolding, as far as they knew. But no one knew how they did it. Yeah, it's in the past. Now, I don't understand anything. This may surprise you, Ray, but um, I no longer work as an architect. Right, from Vandalay. And I know very little about... <laughs> I know. <laughs> I've always wanted to be an architect. I, I know nothing about this. And right. as I was reading all of this stuff, I, I had to look it all up and yeah. read up on it, watch videos, because I had no idea. Now, and, and I'm going to assume that at least some people listening to this are as clueless as I am. So, apparently, the building an arch, and a dome is just an arch, it's just a round arch. The way that you'd normally do it is you build a wooden scaffold. Right. Like a, a wooden frame yeah. for it to support the bricks because you're putting the bricks up the top until you put the keystone in at the top, and the keystone holds all the bricks in place. Okay. But this dome is going to be so insanely big that, as I said before, you couldn't get wood big enough or enough of it that would be strong enough to support a dome of this size. Uh, It was impossible. Gotcha. Okay. But Bruno said, hey, I've spent the last 20 years in Rome studying the Pantheon, the biggest dome in history. It's been up there for 1,300 years. Anyone else climbed up on top of it? Anyone? Hello? No? No? Right. You're damn right. Shut the fuck up. You're damn right. Shut the... (laughs) You're damn right. (laughs) Anyway. So there's a whole series of meetings and consultations... City officials asked to see his plans and his models. He sold them to go fuck themselves. <laughs> this guy's got to work on his people like skills. He, like he did <laughs> when he had designs for the baptistry doors. Right. This time he's like, go fuck yourself. They're like, well, we won't give you the commission unless you can show us you know what you're doing. And he goes, got anyone else you're going to give it to? No, shut the fuck up. <laughs> That's my position. So according to, Vas- yeah. according to Vasari, he proposed this instead. That whosoever could make an egg stand upright Ooh. on a flat piece of marble right. should build the cupola, since thus each man's intellect would be discerned. Can you make an egg stand upright on a flat piece of marble? That is the challenge. Don't ask to see my plans. Can anyone else get an egg to stand upright? 
Taking an egg, therefore, all those masters sought to make it stand upright, but not one could find a way. No shit. Whereupon Filippo, being told to make it stand, took it graciously and giving one end of it a blow on the flat piece of marble, made it stand (laughs) upright. That's cheating! The craftsmen protested that they could have done the same, but Filippo answered, laughing, that they could also have raised the cupola if they had seen his model or design. Oh! And so it was resolved that he should be commissioned to carry out this work. He's an asshole. What a great yeah, but, story. Yeah. But if you can do it. So in the end, the officials approved his crazy-ass plan. <laughs> they don't know how he's going to do it, but if he can make an egg stand up, he can probably yeah. do this as well. There's just one small condition, Ray. What's that? They told him he had to work with Ghiberti oh, as his co-supervisor <laughs> on the project. Are you fucking kidding me, he said. I did the egg trick, not him. They're like, yeah, but you're a cunt. We're not sure. We'll talk to him. He'll talk to you. We're not sure we can work with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We we like your birdie. He's a nice guy. Understudy. Yeah. Yeah. No, not even understudy. Co-supervisors. You're both going to do it together. This guy can't get a break. Aww. Well, he got the job, and he, this time he said, all right, but we'll see. It was a little bit more complicated than that. Took four million bricks <gasps> and 16 years to complete. God dang. And when he died many years later, he left no plans <gasps> for how he did it. And so to this very day, <clears throat> people are still debating exactly how he did it. What a kind. We know a little bit. About how he did it? Yeah. He was like, well, the fucking Romans didn't leave any clues. I had to go and learn it. Why should I tell you my secrets? I'm like, Colonel Sanders, motherfuckers. <laughs> These secret herbs and spices going to the grave with me. Why should I tell you my secrets? Fuck you. He's a Florentine cunt. I'm sorry. And to this day, it is still the largest freestanding masonry dome in the world how he did it and the story about how he did it, we're going to talk about next time because, you know, this is, uh, we're going to take our time and milk this motherfucker. All four million bricks. Um, yeah, yeah, one at a time. <laughs> like like your Bertie and the doors, we're going to take our time with this because honestly, it's one of the most impressive yeah, absolutely. architectural masterpieces in the world. I have prints of it here, up here in my office. I look at it. It's, it's the. Um, it's the, the, the wallpaper on my iPad, my iPhone, on my desktop quite often. Uh, I'm in awe of this building. I always have been. Every time I go to Florence, it, it takes my breath away. Uh, the, just the beauty mm-hmm. of it is astounding. Um, this time when we're in Florence, I, I, you know, we got to Florence, we checked in, we went out to dinner. We were walking back to dinner, I remember, on our first night. And the sun's still up because the sun's up late at that time of year. Right. I remember we just walked around the corner at one point because our hotel was only a few blocks away. We walk around the corner. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Boom. You're like, out of nowhere, 
You walk around the corner, there's the Duomo in front of you in the middle of the piazza, and you're like, fuck me, look yeah. at that. Uh, sun setting, Duomo's in front of you, the green and white marble and the pink marble of the dome. Yeah, and, and the, It's just, it is. Yeah. It is, a, it's just, no wonder Florentines are happy. Yeah. And like the Florentines, happiest people I met on our trip. And it's, you know, no wonder you got that in the middle of your city. You're like every day. And then at night, we would be up on the, the rooftop of our hotel. Yeah. Kicking back. A block away or so. Kicking back, looking at the, the, the Duomo lit up at night, having a stogie, few limoncellos. Yeah. With man, friends. Um, so it was, it was awesome. Next time, um, we're going we're gonna to go into detail on the Duomo. So, brick um, by brick. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Ray, before we go, we do have a review. This one's from Grayson Hart, and i got to thank Grayson because he's the guy who sent me an email when he heard me say we didn't have any reviews, going, hey, I left your fucking review. What's the deal? <laughs> what the hell? And then I realized that my right. review, app, uh, the app that tells me how many, what, what shows me our reviews wasn't working. Uh, so thank you, Grayson uh, from the United States. He says, uh, Ray and Cameron have been freely adding value to my life since 2014. Aww. When I first started listening to their Life of Julius Caesar podcast, I'm a history podcast junkie with hundreds and hundreds of hours listened over the years across a wide variety of presentation styles, but I never have as much fun listening to a history podcast as I do when joining these two buddies on their crude, <laughs> irreverent, sometimes boisterous, but always informative romps through time. Be prepared to have ancient characters and stories brought to life through extensive research and hilarious storytelling. Cameron has a dominant acerbic style that etches the engraving, putting the material into ah. sharp relief, while Ray, more humbly, mellows and smooths the edges. That's true. And together, their chemistries create an engraving that just wouldn't be the same without each of their personalities oh. and roles. I've recently come into some financial <laughs> stability. Oh, congratulations, Grayson. And I'm pleased to be able to finally spare some well-deserved shining florins to these two scholars and friends that, from the opposite sides of the planet, come together to bring myself and others' knowledge, laughter, and light from the darkness of the Ooh, past. I like that. Fuck Poetic. me. That's yeah. uh, some well-written yeah. shit there, Grayson. Um, out. Yeah. So thank you, Grayson. Send us a... Send us an email with your uh, address. We'll send you a, a little thank you gift for taking the time to write such an eloquent uh, review. And I'm glad this one wasn't in Irish because <laughs> uh, I'm not very comfortable yeah, okay. doing an Irish accent. See you in a couple of weeks, people.